Welcome to episode 32 of Texting. Host by myself, Justin Miz and Jason Roberts. That's the best I could come up with. <laughs> Good. Now you're still talking quickly. <laughs> so how are you? Where are you at the moment? Well, first thing I wanted to say, one thing we didn't clarify so much last um, last week when we explained why we why there was a two-week wait, break between shows, it wasn't just that we accidentally didn't record a show. It was that you moved. Ah, uh, yeah. Good point. Right? You moved, and so that threw things off because you, you didn't have a connection and you were busy moving, obviously. And then, of course, I got sick, so it was like <laughs> – It's true, yeah, because, because I moved and we didn't have a connection for a week. We decided that we'd do a show, and that was a very kind of rushed job, and that was another reason probably why we didn't press the record button. Yeah, yeah. And then, then, then I got sick, and I, we couldn't really record because I would have been coughing through the entire episode. And so, you anyway, sound great. Where, where are you? Are you at home or are you somewhere out of home? I'm at home. Oh, the quality is great. Quality better? Yeah, much better than before. Oh, great. So, um, yeah, well, we got some uh, we got some nice uh, feedback. I think for the past uh, in the comments. I mean, you know, I have to say it's like when people when people give us uh, you know friendly comments or positive feedback, they're like, "Hey, I love the show." That just makes me want to do another show like immediately. <laughs> you know. So, so you really heard excited. it, folks. You heard it here. This is what you got to do. Just do some feedback, and then we're gonna get we're gonna amp out those shows. Yeah, tell us you love the show, and uh, we'll start jumping through hoops. So I, yeah, it just it feels good, you know. It, it's funny because you know we sit there and we talk, we do these shows, and they're fun to do. But then when you when people actually say they like them, it uh, just I don't know. I, I want people to um, to help me lobby you to change the name to Generation Zero. I'm on the fence. I'm not against it. I think but, that, but, like but, as many listeners as possible should should go onto the website and just say Generation Zero plus one. <clears throat> Generation zero plus one. So yeah, it would be nice if if if, if people, whatever you think about the name, whether you think you don't care, it doesn't make a difference. or you really like Generation Zero. You think there's another name? You know, let us know in the comments. I mean, it just makes sense with the intro, though, right? Don't you think? Uh, Thanks. I just don't know. What Generation Generation Zero just doesn't have any uh, meaning for me. I don't quite. I can't seem to quite attach anything to it. That's the maybe good that thing about it. I guess maybe so. I mean, intro, the the song itself. When I wrote the song. Um, don't know whether everyone knows, but it's, it's a song that I wrote when I was in my band. Um, what it's about is it was about the fact I wrote it in around the around 2000. And f- what it for me was about was that you couldn't really hang your hat on something like the 70s, the, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, like that there would be no more eras in that sense, because because. 70s were kind of unique, 60s were kind of unique, 50s were kind of unique. But then we got to the noughties. And it's like, well, from this point forward, it's just um, a recycling of fashion and concepts. And it's, you know, um, eras don't really stand out the same way as they used to. So we're just like, from this point forward, there isn't going to be another generation. There's just generation zero. <laughs> I don't know. That's interesting. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, not, it's a cool sounding name. Uh, I don't know. I mean, what it would mean in terms of our podcast, I and mean, what is that actually? Well, because it's it's all about. It, I mean, essentially, even in the song, I mentioned technology quite a lot, and it's just about moving into. You know, it's the generation zero, the the technology era, it's the internet era. It's just, it, in a sense, it is about tech. That song. It's about right. the fact that we've kind of moved so far forward that that there's nothing too definable because it's just all going to be mashups in the future. <laughs> Interesting. Well, yeah. Anyway, I'd like to hear some feedback from people. We had, we, I think we had one guy say he liked it. Was it Ozzy? Yeah. He said he liked it. Now, uh, yeah, I'd like to hear some feedback from other people before we, um, 
making decisions. So, well, speaking in terms of the podcast, I had an interesting thing. So I went, well, I, I'm always very curious to find out like how big, how many subscribers or listeners there are for some of these other shows. And what I did is I added um, Stack Overflow to my Google Reader, to the, the podcast RSS feed. Right. Um, uh, you know, spe- specifically the podcast RSS feed, not the blog. And there were something like 500 and, I don't know, 80 or something subscribers. And I did the same thing for the TechZing podcast, and we had like 127. So they had, the number I came out, they had 4.7 times the listenership of us, at least according to people, at least, at least as far as Google Reader is concerned. Now, Google Reader is obviously not, it's just a sort of a sample but that was kind of interesting. If if that holds, if there's the same proportion of people listening, um, use the Google Reader uh, for for Stackoverflow as they do for texting, then then Stackoverflow is only a, you know less than five times bigger than our show, which is not so bad. Well, from my perspective, it means Stack Overflow aren't doing very well. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so, but you know, I got the impression because Joel. Spolsky is is just in terms of the whole startup technology space. I mean, he's huge, right? You just say Joel, yeah. everybody knows this. His Joel and Software uh, website is massive in size and readership. And um, Jeff Atwood's blog. I mean, he has a huge number of readers. He's one of the most widely read tech blogs on the on the web. So, how many is it saying is that da- is um, being downloaded on Stack Overflow then? What's your guesstimate for their overall well, if, listenership? Well, if if, if 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 the ratio holds for us, so like I, I noticed that after. Let's say like after two weeks, we have about 375 yeah. downloads of the show. And um, I think it was, it was something like 1,500, I think, if, we, if the proportion was the same. Well, there's just no, there, there's no way that Stack Overflow only have 1,500 listeners. I just, I, don't know. I can't believe it. Well, I'd be really interested to find out what, if there's a way to figure out, like, I mean, I guess I could try and email either Joel or Jeff and ask them straight up, like, how many, how, how many subscribers <laughs> they are going to come back and say, oh, yeah, we have like 30,000. Well, what's I mean? Well, what's uh, yeah? I mean, why wouldn't they say? I mean, what's what's the reason for not being a uh, uh, you know? I mean, you could read see how many subscribers you have for their blogs and their website half the time. So maybe they just maybe they'd say I'd be curious. Okay, well that's but interesting. I was, th- I was thinking the other thing it would what would be kind of uh, interesting to do is to because I, I I would like to pu- see if we can make a push to get the to the five hundred mark. You know, we've been kind of cruising along, picking up speed, but it'd be nice to see if we can get to that 500 mark, um, which I think it, because the, the podcast is almost like a startup in a way, right? I mean, we're, we're really just, you know, picking, it's picking up those early users. Well, you know what we're looking for? What? We're looking what for we? a, a first follower. <laughs> first follower. That's what All we're right. looking for. We're looking for a first follower who's prepared to dance in the field and look like a fool. Okay. So you're, you're referring to, um, Derek Sivers first follower, Ted talk. Yeah, so leadership lessons from dancing guy. Yeah, yeah. So that was really random uh, video. Fantastic though. So why don't you tell us about it? Um, it's it's Derek Sivers um, breaking down the concept of starting up a movement within three minutes. So and that movement could be uh, any kind of movement um, from an ideological movement to also starting up a company or whatever or bringing a new brand, a new um, product onto the market. And um, in the video, it's it's just a, a three-minute video of, I guess it's a festival somewhere, and everyone's sitting down on the grass in the sunshine, and there's one guy who's just dancing like crazy. And he's the he's in in this um, example, 
he is the leader. He's the person who starts it, the lone nut who's out there with his business concept or his idea. He's just dancing, throwing his arms around in the air. And then one guy decides to get up and start dancing with him. And, and this, this is all caught on tape. And so then all of a sudden there's two of them. And then that goes on for a little bit longer. And then a third guy gets up. And then once there's three of them, then it's a crowd. And then a few more people get up. And it's just the same sort of concept with um, a company. And it's, it's talking about how important the first follower is. Because they're saying that although the, the original guy uh, was pretty important for thinking of the idea, it's the first follower who essentially had the guts to um, get up there and start dancing along with him. And that's how the whole thing started. So we're looking for a first follower. That's what Texting's looking for. <laughs> for a first follower. I think we have more than a first follower. We have a core group. You know, we have like a 350, 375 listeners. So it's just a matter of like pushing, pushing that up a little bit, trying to get to that 500 bark. You know, it's like when it's like we were talking about last week about you making 100 users happy. Yeah. And I think when you're when you're when you're small, when you're early stages, you can really think in terms of picking up users by the by five and ten at a time, right? You know, just or one at a time. You know, it's like, well, we need five thousand more users. Like, really, just go and just try and grow a little bit at a time, and uh, you know, pretty soon uh, we should get the five hundred mark. And then once we get the five hundred mark, we start looking towards the thousand mark or whatever. And, um, and it's the same thing for us for a, an early web startup. I mean, you get it's easy to get depressed. Oh, I only got fifty users or ten users, but you know, when it's that when you're that small, you can just think in terms. Okay, well, I got fifty now. I got I got to shoot for fifty five. I just go five five new users, right, in the whole yeah. world, and then you get there and you have five more, ten more. I mean, you really and pretty soon you're big enough that the natural growth, the sort of compounding interest of having a number of users, because a certain number of people using your product or listening to your podcast or reading your blog or whatever it is, are going to tell other people, say, hey, this is, you know, this is pretty cool. You might like this. And I it's, think that's how, that's how texting of, is growing because we're not doing any promotion or marketing of it at all. So, uh, you know, <laughs> okay. right? Um, it's kind of cool um, in the sense that it's it's a bit of a fractal the way that texting is working. If you compare texting to a a standard startup because we sort of didn't quite know which direction to go in to begin with. And we had a bunch of guests on and um, there's, there was some wildcard shows like for example, um, I think the AI war one where we had two and a half thousand downloads of that one. And so right. it's difficult for us to understand the true growth of people who are listening to the show because um, we do an episode like that and two and a half thousand people tune in. But of course, when it's just us talking, we're, we're averaging around 370, something like that. And we've kind of realized that, to, you know, what the podcast is probably about is about just us talking rather than having guests on. That's, that's what we want to do. You know, what happens is by having guests on, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's not a bad idea to have guests on sometimes. It mixes things up. Um, it's, it gives us the opportunity to meet some really interesting people. I mean, we've, made, we've sort of established friendships or at the very least uh, friendly relationships with a number of interesting people yeah. and um, learn some new, new stuff. And um, I think also it, it does bring new people into the show. So like if we, when we, we interview, we, we do a show on the Cassandra database, right? And yeah. we get a couple thousand downloads from the high scalability website because of that. Well, majority of those people might be look. They're all. They're really just database people. That's. They're really just interested in that. They're not interested in tech and the other tech and startup stuff so much. So they're not going to stick around. But you know, you might have ten or twenty or fifty of those people might stick around. 
Right. But if you if you compare it to building a startup, I mean, is it a good strategy? It's I think it's not exactly the right strategy because um, it's almost the same as basically marketing to the wrong crowd because it's the same as with um, Tweetminer. When I got a couple of really high hits on my blog for Tweetminer from the hacker hacker news crowd. Now, none of literally none of those people signed up to Tweetminer, but I had like five, ten thousand page views. So it's sort of it, it kind of it's indicates like the tech, it's like the TechCrunch effect, right? You yeah. get you get a huge explosion uh, for like a day or two of traffic based on an article on TechCrunch and or Hacker News or you know either like slash dotted or all those kinds of things. But how many how much of that actually translates into uh, real users or in our case uh, listeners? Yeah, so it's just I I guess um, the current conversation we're just talking about the fact that it's a good simile that this this is like building a business really is the same as oh well, yes else. yeah I mean uh, you know this isn't necessarily a money making venture it's just just more for fun for us but in, in obviously it's more exciting to have say a thousand listeners than it is to have ten yeah you know? I mean um, and the more people you get the more interesting it is you get more interesting comments it just feels more worth doing um, okay I'm bored of talking about it now though what can we yeah. move on to next. Yeah, so one thing I want to bring up, which is a, re- a really quick thing, um, I, came, I came across an awesome little website utility that solves a problem that I had complained about in at least one or two past episodes. It's called printfriendly.com. Oh, yeah. Now, you, do you remember how I had said, I'd complain, I said, you know what, I really wish there was, existed out there, I wish I wanted to build, was a website where I could just paste the URLs for different pages and it would make it so that I could just, it was sort of printer friendly because I have to go and, and you have to select the text and you know, a lot of times you'll print a page and it'll say, it'll have like the print version of the page and it'll still print out like 15 pages for like 300, you know, yeah. words. It's just ridiculous. And, in, and for some reason, the selection, the print, print selection for me on Chrome doesn't work. Yeah. So I like to use Chrome as my primary browser. And I found that IE is the only one that does a decent job of the print selection. Firefox messes up sometimes. So I'm opening up IE and pasting that you're all in there and then selecting. I mean, it's, just, it's a totally inefficient, annoying process that I do at the end of the day because I like to print out long articles. When I come across five to ten interesting articles throughout the day, I don't tend to read them while I'm working because it just distracts me. So I save them in the, the day and then I spend up, you know, 20 minutes just printing out articles, which is a totally waste of time. So print-friendly, you just print it into the URL and it makes a perfectly printer-friendly version of it. And then what you can do is you can select things. You can just click on certain elements within the text and just remove them completely. So if they're images that you don't want to print out, it's really cool. Checking it out. Yeah, yeah, no, that's very cool. I'm just looking at it there. Um, you know what I'm thinking is, you know the way on Hacker News, um, so often people make a website like CNN or something like that to get rid of the ads. They, they um, click the print button and they send people to that page. Right. Now what you can do is you can just send every page to this printfriendly.com. That's a good point. And have it already. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. I'm just, I'm just putting um, tweet minor through print friendly there, seeing what it comes back with. Yeah, because I can't be the only person who's spending their evenings before they like, you know, clocking out, printing out a bunch of crap. I mean, I'm sure a lot of other people are are not are like that, and they would like prefer to read stuff on, on paper and not to spend all their days just glaring at the computer screen. Yeah, staring at the computer screen. So I thought that was kind of cool. So uh, good find. Print friendly, it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, I got another thing. So I, was th- I was thinking about you a lot yesterday. Oh, that's very I nice was... of you. In what kind <laughs> yeah. of a way? What kind yeah, of? Okay, so <laughs> uh, yeah, in a very good way. I'll tell you right now. Okay, okay. so um, 
uh, we uh, we spent the weekend uh, visiting uh, my wife's parents who live in Las Vegas, and we were driving back from Vegas to L.A., so it's like a five-hour drive through the desert. And I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to a um, a podcast interview. It was a Web 2.0 show, which is one of the shows I actually listen to, and they're interviewing the guy from Hootsuite, which is one of your competitors. Oh, yeah. Right now, one thing we talked about last week is you're like, you know, I just don't know if Tweet Miner is a big enough space. I just, you know, worry about that. And then um, uh, we, there was a comment on the blog where uh, I, I, I really can't pronounce the guy's name, so it's uh, I don't even try and say it. But uh, he said he agreed with you. He's like, well, maybe it's not big enough. You know, maybe maybe he could just have a couple small projects because he's like, I agree. Oh, you're not- talking about Bopinda Abu Morbelinda Singh. <laughs> Very well done. <laughs> that has got to be the most hard, hard to pronounce name I've ever seen. I think we I should like, just call him Bams. Yeah, because he's is, he's commented a couple of times, and his his acronym would be B A M S. So we're just going to call him Bams. All right, Bams. So Bams agreed with you. Now, right. I so I'm listening to this this interview with Hootsuite, and they have four hundred thousand users. Yeah, four hundred thousand users. They got a, just got an investment of like $2 million Series A. They had eight developers work on their product for a year, I guess, before uh, for their funding. And I'm thinking, you're worried about the size of the space, and Hootsuite is only about a year, and they have 400,000 users. That sounds, to me that, it sounds like to me that the space is plenty big. So you worrying about it not being big enough, I think, is based on that one data point is probably unfounded. Well, here's some, here's some interesting uh, – I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot as well about whether I should be working on um, TweetMiner or whether I should be working on MASH API. And yes, I'm going to say the name. I've decided I'm not going to keep it a secret anymore because okay. I think that I'm going to move forward with MASH API. Um, because MASH API is a blue water project and it's exactly the same as the first follower. So um, that's that's who I am with MASH API. I'm that first guy standing there dancing like a crazy nutter because no one else is doing it. But with TweetMiner, it's what they call a redwater project because I'm in there swimming with sharks big time. So, and and it's that's perfectly acceptable to be involved in that as a business model. But I'm sort of thinking, okay, cons- consider what it's taken Hootsuite to build up to the level that they've built up to, and what it's taken me with TweetMiner to build up to that level. I th- I actually think I'm in a position to sell TweetMiner, and then reinvest that money into uh, Mash API, because where I've already got TweetMiner. It, it it's not that far away from Hootsuite. Um, and so, as you say, it's an interesting space to be involved in for people, for someone who's really passionate about that space. And um, there's a lot of value, like the, the really hard part of that has already been built. The really hard part, proving it, getting revenue. All you need to do with TweetMiner now is to basically um, keep some features, keep the features coming in, but they don't have to be massively coming in. The main point is, is, TweetMiner's proven the conversion ratio of 3.5%. So it's literally just a question of marketing and getting people to the site because you, you, you're you being suspiciously quiet. Say something. Well, I, I couldn't disagree more. You couldn't I, disagree I, more? I, I think you're absolutely wrong. Okay. And here's why. I spent a okay. lot of time thinking about this as we're driving through the desert. Okay. I, I, had, I had planned on all the things I was going to say. I wrote down some notes about this. And okay. the, the other thing is that I was reading, I read an article called, I think it was called The Sure Thing. It was an article by um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Right. And he was talking about what was consistent about all these very successful 
entrepreneurs, and one of them he was talking about was Ted Turner. And one of the things they said was uh, that he talked about is how Ted, when Ted Turner he he he'd inherited a billboard uh, business, billboard advertising business right. from his dad. And at one point, he went and bought a struggling t- television station, it's like Channel Seventeen. And at the time, it was losing half a million dollars a year. And he figured out how to make it work. He, you know, it was, it was became profitable a million dollars a year, but that wasn't for two and a half years later, right? So he had to work pretty hard at it. And I think most of these companies, most things when it comes to turning a profit and growing a profit, it doesn't happen in like three months and six months. You know, uh, when you're really focused on growing a business and, and growing a revenue stream, it's the kind of thing it takes years. It just takes commitment, persistence. And um, as, as developers, I think, and so what I'm saying is I think one thing that you should try and avoid doing, and when I say you, I mean me as well, because I am very, we're very similar like this. And I think a lot of people listen to podcasts are very, very similar to this. We're primarily technologists. We're primarily programmers or coders or people who like to build products. You know, we like to create things. Building a business is a create, creating a thing, but it's not the same thing as, you know, building a piece of software or building some website. Because what happens as a technologist, I think, is you solve a problem and then you just kind of get bored of it and you want to do something else. Now, if you're into building a business, you understand it takes time and you just commit to doing it. And I think you're thinking like a technologist. I think you're rationalizing making decisions because you want to work on something else. And I think... Um, if you want to make, if you want to achieve financial freedom to where you don't have to do consulting, you don't have to worry about what your income is. You can work on whatever you want to work on. Um, then you need to grow you know, a, a revenue stream. Now you have, you've sort of got a seedlings in there. You've got this little baby plant that's just coming out of the roots and showing good promise. Um, you already got to the point where it's, you have a, a revenue stream, you have, you know, whatever, you're a, a hundred paying customers or whatever. And I think that all, all you need to do now is just stick with it, not give up, not get distracted, and just crank on it. And I think I would at least focus one full year on it from here and see where you are. Because I think, you know, you're already making – what's your revenue per month on this now? Um, about, well, it's about 1000 I guess. 1000 right? I mean, I've, I've worked out the actual uh, profit is about 8000 a year. Right now, as right now, as it stands, but right now. If it, if if you grow ten percent a year, do you have any idea what that would be? Uh, not off the top of my head. Ten percent no. a month, I mean. But but this is sort of what I'm saying to you is given that where it is right now, and it's it, it's got a profit already of eight of eight thousand a year, and how many people want to get into this space and are interested in the same space as um, Hootsuite? Like it, it probably has a valuation of at least fifty thousand plus. Yeah, but I mean, look. I, like I, I, like I mentioned before, when I tell you about you know um, the guys over at Central Desktop, um, right, Isaac and Arnolf, and and, and they but, weren't even growing as fast. Hold as you. on, and hold now, on, hold on. Let me just let me just stop you there. Okay. Were were they playing in someone else's garden, or were they doing their own product? There was, were like they were they were they were like so many competitors. I was actually in that space. But I, I don't care about right? competitors. I'm asking you: Are they depending on another platform like Twitter in the same way yeah. as Tweetminer? What does that have, What does that matter, really? Well, it, well, because it means that if if Twitter, if Twitter goes kaput, if Twitter isn't the flavor of the month, if Google Buzz takes over or something like that, then what, what's Tweetminer? Well, here is one thing that Hootsuite is doing based on what based on the the interview. I haven't used Hootsuite or anything, but um, they they're they're doing the same thing. They're they're using their uh, Hootsuite as sort of like a social media manager. So it not only interfaces with Twitter, but it's also Facebook and uh, LinkedIn. Yeah, I mean that's the answer that I that I give to people when they ask me that question. Yeah, but, so expand out. But I'm just saying. So look. 
uh, you know, Isaac and Arnoff, when they did Central Desktop, we, I could have these guys in the show since I talk about them so much, but <laughs> they're, they're such a great example, right? Um, when they started out, they were like, you talk about like, uh, you know, like a collaboration platform, web-based collaboration pa- platform in 2005. Right. It was, they, they were right when Basecamp was coming out, and there were like 10 other, because I was in that same space. I, was, I had my own version of that that I was working on, and then Microsoft kind of head-faked and said they were going to release this big web version of SharePoint, and I was like, you know what? What did we learn from the 90s was not to compete with Microsoft when they go into space. I said, screw it. I'm going to do something different, and that was the wrong thing to do. They stuck it out because they were actually like two or three months further in than I was. I was only a couple months in, so they were, I think they felt like they were already just too invested to just you know give up or switch just because Microsoft was coming into the space. And they just kept going and kept executing and kept executing. And guess what? Most of the uh, most of their competitors just never did anything. Kind of quit, gave up. And uh, in basketball, we call it a self check, right? You don't have to guard the guy; he's going to self check. He won't do anything, right? And and now and like I said, I don't even know I don't know what their revenue is, but I can tell you they got an office full of like thirty people, incredibly su- successful. They're doing great because they just kept on it and they stuck with it. So so do you think that I should just put Mash API on the sideline then for a year and work on Tweetminer? I think so. I think I think look, you know, you don't have kids or a huge expensive mortgage. You, you know, your 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 wife works as well, so you know, uh, you don't have to make a huge amount of income. So even to replace what income you need to make just to live the lifestyle that you live but not have to do work for anyone else isn't that much. And I think if you, if you work hard on a year, not just adding out features and focus on building your product up, adding some cool features, maybe interfacing with Facebook and Twitter, adding an iPhone app, or doing other kind of cool stuff that are cool, interesting technology problems to kind of scratch your technologist itch because I know it's just not – you just spending all your time brand building will, will, isn't as fun. Then I think you could be in a position – You'll, first of all, you're making a lot more than $1,000 a month, but you'll be in a position, if you're not to the point where you can replace your income, you'll be damn close. You'll be like, okay, I'm really close now, right? Okay, but how can I, how, how can I actually compete with Hootsuite, who have 400,000 users and I have you know, 3,000? I don't think you have to worry about Hootsuite. You know, like when, you're, when you're a kid and the teacher would say, you know, Justin, don't you worry about what Sally's doing. You worry about what Justin's doing, right? right. You're like, well, Sally's doing Don't worry about what they're doing, right? <laughs> don't worry about – it's like I think Joel well, – Why not? Had, why not? Because but, it doesn't matter. Because the only thing that's going to kill – the only thing that can kill TweetMiner is you. Nothing else can kill it. The but only you, thing but you'll be releasing you. your secret project that's along similar lines to Mash API, and, the, and I'll be watching you build that, and then it's going to be irritating. Because you'll be doing what I want to be doing, and I'll be freaking working on Tweetminer. Well, it's not the same thing. Our projects aren't the same thing. Yeah, I know, they're but in they're in a similar, similar space. space. But look at you. I mean, there's no telling. There's no, there's no guarantee that what I'm doing is even going to work. You're already way ahead of me. You already have paying customers. You already have a business. You already have happy users. You're already growing your revenue stream. I get nothing, right? At this mm. point, I got vaporware. I'm just, I'm just Jason talking crap on a podcast about some code that apparently I'm writing, right? <laughs> I get nothing. Dude, yeah, I don't know. You make a convincing case, but then again, you know what? I played everything you said last week to to my partner, and he just came back at me with a more convincing case about Mash API. So I'm just kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. I have got no idea what to do at this stage. Well, I I I just think I think you need to think not like a technologist. I think you think like a businessman, and you need to grow this asset that you have. Selling it now would be stupid. You did the hard part. Now you just got to run with it, um, and um, because it doesn't cost you anything to grow it. And I would just push on it. And if you want what but I think. Hold on a second. Why would it be stupid to sell it for 50000 plus and then use that money to live off for a year to build out 
the startup that I'm really passionate about and that I've been working on for over a year and a half? Why would because, that be stupid? Because you could have this thing making, you know, you could probably sell it for five times or ten times that in a year and a half. I think. Because I think it's... You've got an I think answer for everything, don't you? You're just so full of answers. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. I'm just like you, right? I know... Here's the thing that guys like us do. We rationalize <laughs> doing what we want to do, not what we should be doing. And it kind of reminds me of a good, one of my best friends. Um, I've talked a little bit about him. He was the... Uh, writer who's written you know some movies and stuff like that right. and um i grew up together and he was always like jace man why don't you instead of doing these startups he's like just do consulting you make so much money and then you can make enough money and then do a startup on your own or side and i kept you know getting involved in these sort of complicated you know startup deals and all this financing and i didn't have complete control over things and things would blow up not because of things that i did just because of the complexity of just relationships yeah, and I look back and I'm like, God, he was right, man. I should have just been consulting since you know I was 25 and cranking out cash and, and building up a huge amount of personal savings and then working on stuff on the side. I mean, he was right because on the outside, he could see simply like that's all I had to do. And he's like, Well, I don't know why you're doing all this complicated stuff. He's like, It just I don't I don't get it. And I look back and I think he was right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I keep the, I kept looking for shortcuts. You know, kind of like, Oh, we'll just crank out in a year and a half. We'll be doing this, and there is no shortcuts. It's just you gotta commit to doing something anyway i just think from the outside looking at you i just think to, to give up on tweet miner now would be absolutely ridiculous i just think it would be so silly. god i'm really interested to to get uh listeners feedback as well so what do you just anyone who's listening to this show just please come to textinglive.com and just let me know is jason right or am i right what should i do what should i do with my life just just help me just, you know what, you know what reminds, it, it, it kind of reminds me of people who get into relationships and they kind of self-destruct. You know, you have people who just self-destruct in personal relationships, right? Yeah. They get involved and they're like, you know, I remember this guy in college and he had this, he was going on with this girl and she was beautiful and sweet and just totally committed to him. And he was just, I don't know, maybe this, maybe that. And I'm like, you're an idiot, you know? And sure enough, he ends up screwing it up. He ends up, you know, and then, and then like years later, he's regretting it. And I'm just like, I, you know, why... You know what it you is. It. You know what it is. It's a, it's a famous Groucho Marx saying, which is, I, I wouldn't be a member of a club that would have me as a member. <laughs> <laughs> so when something starts working for you or when someone starts liking you, you're like, oh, that, they like me. Oh, I don't want to have anything to do with them. <laughs> They're idiots. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I, I just think, you've, you, you, I think you've, you've, you've done the hard part. I think you just need to stick with it, show some commitment, um, build this thing up, and then you're going to have that financial freedom to work on whatever you want. You know, you're challenging you me. This is like a challenge. What do you mean? Well, you're, you're like, you're basically saying, I dare you. I dare you to what? I dare you to do that. I dare you to stick with that way. I dare. Well, I'm just, I want to see you succeed. And yeah. I want to see you, I want to see you, you should be like, in two or three years, or you should be like, you know, I, Isaac and Arnold Forward Central Dostop, and you have, you know, an office of five or ten people working for you, and you're making, you're cranking out cash, and you're like, loving I, life. I just feel the opposite with you. I really want you to fail. I know you do. I just, so, I'd love to see you just go it nowhere. It brings great symmetry to the relationship, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So I spend all this time and they're, and they're just staring out at the desert and the mountains, thinking about this, and I'm just like, no. Yeah. You know what I, what I really want for you is I want you to launch it. I'm sick of you not launching it. Like, you need to put that thing on out there. I know. So at least I, we can see one way or another if it, you know, where it goes. Well, here's the thing. I mean, you said two weeks, two weeks ago. 
I said two weeks last week. Okay. So you at least give me another week before you start giving me. So you go, are you going to launch it next week? I'm going to try. I'm not guaranteeing anything. I'm just I'm trying to get out as soon as I can. Um, here's the thing, though. Right. Is um, I'm. I mean, I don't expect the thing to be a big success in three months, right? I mean, I'm expecting to spend, have to spend, you know, two or three years on this for it to become successful, because that's at least, you know, because that's what you see in the market. Nothing happens overnight. You got to at least just you got to be least willing to say, I'm going to spend, you know, three, four, or five years on this thing, and um, before it becomes a big financial success. Yeah. And I don't mean, you know, selling for a billion, a billion dollars or being bought. I'm just saying for the kind of thing that you could employ other people, re- replace your salary, all, you know, whatever. A lot of people use all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So anyway, I won't, I won't give you more hard time. I just think. No, just I like whatever, it. I like you giving me a hard time because it means. Don't it, think like a technologist. Think like an entrepreneur. Think like someone who wants to maximize the value of this. So is that the title of the show? Don't think like a technologist. Think like an entrepreneur. Could be. Be <laughs> Something like that. I just, I just, uh, you know, you know, kind of reminds me of a couple things. There was a show. Not I don't Marco I Polo. What's that? Not Marco Polo. That was last. That was the last show. Yeah. So two of the things I want to mention about that. One is, um, I remember there was a show that was on for a long time with Adam Carolla and Dr. Drew called Love Line. It was right. on, it was syndicated <laughs> on all these different shows. <laughs> Why is everything were, relationship based with your analogies about me and Street Minor? <laughs> I don't know. So, but what would happen is people would call in and they'd have all these kind of problems with either relationships or drugs or their parents or all kind of just stuff, right? And it, people were, you were usually young, teenagers or people in their 20s. And, they, and before they were in, before they were even com- finished stating what the issue was, it was not only obvious, you could tell it was obvious to Adam Kroll and Dr. Drew. It was obvious because they've listened to a million of these. It was obvious to all listeners what the person should do. Yeah. Oh, I have this alcoholic boyfriend, and he break up with him. It's over. But he no, <laughs> it's over, right? <laughs> you know, it's just like it was obvious. And the person's they're struggling. They don't. I don't know. We've been together, and then he said, "No, break up with him. He's bad news. Get away." And it was so obvious. And it's like I feel that way sometimes in like these kind of situations. Like I think if you went and talked to a bunch of um, sort of disinterested parties, they would probably say something similar to me, which is, "Justin, you've done the hard part." Now, ride this thing into victory. You've got to first base. Get on this thing. Ride it downhill for a couple of years, and it'll be a very successful asset. Don't worry about Hootsuite. Don't worry about anyone else. Just keep pushing on this thing, and then you will have this financial freedom, which is something you talked about wanting. Right? Yeah. The second thing is, it also reminds me of this thing. Have you heard of masterminding? Minding? Masterminding. Yeah. I guess um, there's um, a friend of mine who's – He's actually a fairly successful guy. He's done a hugely successful charity called Dreams for Kids. Right. And he's, I, I don't know exactly where it started, but essentially what, ha- what masterminding is, is that you meet, on like, like say, on a monthly basis with like two or three other um, sort of peers who are working to become successful, whatever they're, they're doing, whatever, if they're business people or they're building a charity or, I don't know, writing a book or whatever it is, right? And you each take turns describing what is it you're trying to do, what your goals were, what your stated goals were the previous month, and what you've what progress you've made. And then you get feedback from these other people who say, "Look, you know, uh, Justin, I think you know, sounds like you, but you got to make sure. Remember, remember what you said. You got to do this. You can't give in." To oh, these you other mean mo- like mastermind you- groups? Yeah, 
Does that sound familiar? Have you heard of that? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I don't know much about it, but I guess there's a book about it. And I guess there's people, you know, a number of people do it. And um, and it's kind of like this. It's like instead of having a group, you at least Can you have me. Give me some water. <laughs> I have you, right? You keep giving me trouble about releasing my product, which is something I need to do. You're making me, forcing me to do it. And I'm trying to get you to do something which I can tell needs to be done, but you may or may not necessarily want to do, which is like build the business and don't just write software. Yeah. Right? Because I know that's the same thing. I would, in your position, I'd be in, I'd be, be in the same position. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that you write the software, you get bored of it, and you, and you kind of come up with a million reasons why you should do some other, some other thing. Here's an interesting. Uh, I'll look. I got a couple little things. Yeah. So, um, one thing I want to correct, I think a little bit. I want to. I want to hedge a little bit. Is Bams had said something on the blog. He's like, you know what, Jason, you got to. You better hope that your project is really viral. Otherwise, Jason's going to make or Justin's going to make fun of you. Yeah. Right. Right. And I said, well, you know, Justin's going to make fun of me regardless. So I don't think that matters. But I, I would say I want to take one step back. It's like I don't know if I was going to be extremely viral. I think it has a, a viral aspect to it that I think could work. So we'll see. I want to just take one step back and I'd say I think it's going to be extremely viral. Everyone's going to be, you know, I don't mean I didn't mean look when I because I went back I listened to it. I'm like, you know, I overstated that a bit. That's not quite what I meant. Yeah, because it, to me, it's not the kind of product that's an obvious viral product like Facebook or something. Yeah, not that sense, but it's the kind of thing where you're when you when you use it, you're going to want other people uh, to bring other people in, and okay. that's that's viral. So how viral, how much that works, I don't know. We'll see. So I just wanted to hedge that just a little bit. Um, the uh, you know, I think I'll tell you a story. This is a little off. To- uh, obviously, it's off topic, but I, I, I you know. I want to, I want to brag about my little brother here for a second. <laughs> so my 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 little brother, I should say my younger brother, he's not really right. little. Um, is uh, he's stationed in Afghanistan? He flies uh, Black Hawk helicopters for okay. the army. Yeah, and he's on a second tour in Afghanistan. And so I had the story I got back uh, that I just heard back from my that my mom told me about was uh, so I guess was a, this was like last week. Um, his base got a call in. There was a soldier who got hit by an RPG. And was uh, near death, and he needed they needed to get a helicopter evacuation to hospital immediately, otherwise he was going to die. Right. And so they sent four helicopters out to uh, to there because the, the the visibility was really bad, so they weren't sure if if, it, if anyone was going to get through. And all four turned back; they couldn't get through the um, because there was zero visibility. You couldn't see because of I guess the fog or, or the sandstorm or something. So right. they all turned back; they couldn't do anything. And when there's no visibility and you're flying, you can fly with instruments if your instrument. <laughs> Um, trained or whatever. Um, so if you have like airline pilots, no visibility, they can just use you know the various like altimeters and airspeed. And it's also going to tell you if there's something in front of you, like a mountain, right? I, I guess a radar and different things like yeah. that. So yeah. you just in front, you you can see nothing, but you can you know you know where you are by just looking at your instruments. Well, apparently, I, I I'm not exactly sure, but apparently either these helicopters weren't instrument equipped for that way, or they didn't have the equipment out there, so they couldn't they couldn't fly by instruments. But my brother went up to the squadron commander after the helicopter was turned. He's like, I can do it. He's like, you know, and the, and the guy's like, okay, Jeff. Well, if you can, if you think you do it, give it a shot. And because my my brother was known to be a a, a really really good pilot, right. so he um, he and his crew he took them out and they uh, flew 25 miles an hour through the mountains, um, right just above the ground, and they inched their way the whole way there, picked up the soldier, back in the hospital, and saved his life. How in the hell did he do that? That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like you know. It's like, you know, you hear, you hear, it's just amazing. Obviously, I was just so proud of him. I couldn't yeah. believe it. I'm like, you know, you, it's like there's kind of things that people do in life. It's like, 
you, you hear somebody here on TV, people, people are survivors of terrible things happen, and we go, like, oh, they're a hero. It's like, no, they're survivors. You know, people who survive cancer, survive a, you know, a, a plane crash or, or whatever. I mean, they're, they're, they're not heroes. Heroes are people who run into burning buildings or jump into freezing rivers or, you know, jump on top of a grenade or they do something. They risk their own life to save other So people. here's a question for you. Where do you stand on the, on the fact of that that war should be happening or not? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm very skeptical of, of U.S. foreign policy in general. And, and I, don't, I don't really want to get into that too much, I, but I don't, I'm not a big fan of why we're in Central Asia. Right, right. Or all you know, that. So, but my brother and these, and these guys are, I mean, these guys are over there for the reason. They're not foreign policy wonks. Right. No, no, they're just, they're, I mean, they're just instruments, essentially. They're, they're just trying of, yeah. to do, they, they thought they were trying to help their country, they're trying to do the right thing, and so, regardless, and, and so he's over there, right? Yeah. I mean, he's already in, he's been in the Army for he's a number really of years, in he's, yeah. he's in it, and um, and he's just, you know, you know, as a helicopter pilot, he's not out fighting, he's just, you know, as he described himself, he's like, hey man, I'm just a bus driver, you know? <laughs> I just, I, you know, I fly, I fly Blackhawks around and, and take people where they need to go and evacuate people and do different things, and um, but, uh, you know, there's a, there's a soldier whose life was saved because of Jeff. I mean, Jeff risked his own life to save this guy. There's a good chance that they were going to crash. Because you hear about all these, um, you know, stories come back from, you know, Afghanistan and Iraq where a lot of these helicopters are crashing all the time. People are dying mm-hmm. all the time because of these, uh, you know, really difficult flying conditions. So, yeah, anyway, no, fantastic. I to, I, Congratulations. I just had to brag about my little brother for a second because I was so proud of him. So, anyway, it's just like there's this guy who's alive now because of my brother. That's because so cool. You know, it's probably some young kid. He's probably 19, 20 years old, you know. And my brother's like, there's no way we're letting this kid die. We're going to get him. It's like something out of a movie, you know. <laughs> so anyway. Well, maybe um, you could hook him up with your other your other friend who's a writer, and uh, between them they could make an interesting show. Well, you know, it's funny. I actually forwarded I, the, the email, the additional email that I got from my mom describing the story. And... Um, to a friend of mine who's another friend of mine who's actually a writer. He makes documentaries and stuff like that. And he's made a couple documentaries on like special forces and stuff like that. So he's yeah. kind of a fan of those guys. He's just like, these guys are unbelievable. And, and he's like, they're such just badasses. And so I said, here, here's a story of my brother that you might give me like. And um, he was like, you know, he was like, wow, it's really, really awesome story. And then I, I, I forwarded him a follow up because my, my mom had emailed my brother to ask him a little bit more about it. And Jeff's just said, "Oh yeah, it was a really cool mission." He's like, "It's, is like, uh, it's great when these, um, when these commanders and stuff will just lay it on the line and, and let you take the risk to to do something that needs to be done." And it's like, and this friend of mine who I had emailed a Christian, he said, "Yeah, he's like, what a stud, you know? He goes and does something heroic, yet he's still trying to give credit for his commander for allowing him to be heroic, <laughs> <laughs> you know." Uh, so he's the kind of guy who would who would write about something like that but i thought that was really funny you know jeff was like yeah yeah, it was a cool mission <laughs> yeah. that's great so um all right well, I've, I've got one um, thing um this the whole hoo-ha about um facebook creating uh their own php compiler system hphp or hip-hop or yeah and it, it generates um it generates c plus plus and then you use gcc to compile it that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Like it converts, it converts your PHP program into C plus plus. Yeah, so I guess I, I read some um, some sort of criticism of it or uh, commentary, and the and what was interesting is that I guess it's rarely the case, uh, unless you're a massive website, that 
the bottleneck is the is the actual processing of the PHP. It's usually the database. Yeah, it's the database, the connections to the database, and all the network stuff. So unless you have a massive massive website like um, Facebook, you know, it, it it may not be that it'd be a big deal. But I don't know. It'd be interesting. I mean, if, you know, most stuff for like websites like that we would be building, or even if we were successful in our startups for you know at least two or three years. About that. Well, it's like a local bacon or TweetMiner. I'm sure that neither of them are optimized. They're just running just standard PHP. And TweetMiner, yeah. I mean, it's the server has loads and loads of extra headroom. Yeah, you don't have to worry about. about that. And that's, I guess, one of the things in uh, in programming is just try not to get caught up in optimizing things that don't need to be optimized. You know, because you're just wasting cycles on something else that could that could use your time and energy as opposed to like tweaking stuff that doesn't need to be fixed. But um, it's cool that you can do that. I mean, you, you, I guess you see a lot of progress in that area, like Unladen Swallow, which is like this sort of, you know, compiler, just-in-time compiler or something for Python. Right. And they're trying to do that. Of course, you've seen what Chrome, uh, what Google has done with, uh, their, with their JavaScript engine in Chrome and a V8. Yeah. And TraceMonkey, SpiderMonkey for uh, uh, Firefox. Yeah, you, that you can get these... Um, these dynamically typed languages and um, I can think of like static in France and they do different, sometimes they use jet, you know, jitters and other different, I guess a variety of approaches to how you compile, but um, yeah. anytime you can make stuff faster, it's always good. I mean, some cases I guess you don't need it, but things like Python, I guess, which are like not just for like websites, but for, for building all kind of stuff, you know, and, and it, it's known to be a, a really uh, productive language because it's dynamic it's just a dynamic scripting language but it's just so damn slow that in some cases I think it kills you but if you can just have something unladen swallow it should make it so it's not that much slower than say C then you're you're in a great place because you're productive and it's reasonably efficient yeah no, I mean mm. I think it's a good idea I, I tried out but I, I think that it, you're going to obviously have to have root access to the server in some way right or you're going to going to have to have a, a good access to your server to be able to use the compiler and recompile stuff and link it in so probably is no, do, you work a, sh- do, you, do you have a vps a v- virtual private server well i, well, I run on um rackspace so, i know but they have like they oh have right, right. Sites, no, yeah rackspace cloud sites so basically yeah i don't think i do have the vps stuff you'd have to use i think it's cloud it's rackspace that's cloud, cloud servers so. where you actually get the images of each of the servers Right. Yeah, that's right. that's probably. I mean, I I guess there's going to be uh, somewhere along Tweetminer's existence where I will have to start doing the load balancing stuff. Yeah, because for the for the for the my secret project, I, I mean, there's some stuff that I I had to be able to do that I couldn't do using just a shared account. I mean, because you know, if, if you can you if you can use a shared account to get things going, I mean, why not? I mean, why not? Why spend more than ten dollars a month if you don't have to? At least for the first three or six months of your site until you're like, okay, now I gotta, now I gotta move up to something bigger that allows me more flexibility. But there were certain things that I just couldn't do. And so I had to go to a a VPS or virtual private server account, which, and I use, um, was it a two hosting? And I I think they do a good job and it's really pretty inexpensive. And one thing was good. is like, I'm not a Linux admin, right? So when I think of like, Oh, I got to get in, I could do all this kind of installs and configurations. I'm just like, Oh man, this is going to suck and suck up so much time because I don't do it very often. Yeah, but luckily, even for the VPSs, uh, at least for the ones on an A2 hosting, I mean, they have they have the type of control, the web control panels, just kind of like they do on, um, you know, for like uh, C, what's it called, cPanel? Is that like one of the big ones they use? Yeah, you know, they have, I think they're just called Clockso. 
So even for the vast majority of things you need to do, you can just use the web control panel. And if you have to go into the command line and and get nasty and really get into like the Linux. Well, stuff, also, when you when you're using those control panels, they have APIs <laughs> as well. So if you if if you need to do something like build um, stuff that actually hooks, if you need to like add new email users or something like that as part of your website, sometimes right. it can be easier to go through their APIs than to sort of get involved with low level system stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting. They have, so they have an API as well. That's pretty cool. Yeah, they have an API, and and they being Rackspace. Well, uh, well, Rackspace too as well. But generally speaking, any control panel will have an API to allow you to add users, email users. So, for example, if you were building a site like Beanstalk, right, Some, or something like that, where people had to have emails or different accounts at the at the system level, right, then that would be quite a good way to do it. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So, well, this is kind of nice because I, I remember I had thought before. I mean, I had messed around a little bit with the EC2 um, stuff oh, yeah. a year and a half ago. And what do you think? And that well, that was when it was really early, so there was hardly anything to help you do it. Now it seems like they're, they're coming up more and more sort of administrative tools, either desktop client stuff or web clients that you can go in and kind of configure stuff. So, so it was kind of a nightmare. And, and, and not being a Linux guy, I was just finding it very frustrating. And so I was like, uh, you know, thinking I'm going to avoid this as long as possible because I want to build the software. I don't want to configure, you know, servers. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, so I avoided now when, when I realized that I was going to have to use a virtual private server at, at A2 hosting, I initially was like, oh, this sucks that I have to go do this. I was really trying to get a, trying to figure out a way to get around it. But when it turned out they had the control panels, I was like, this is nice. I mean, this works. But the ECT hosting, I mean, yeah. Nowadays, I think there's a lot of stuff that helps you out, you know. Um, but if you're a Linux guy, then I'm sure it's great. But if you're not, it's just uh, kind of intimidating, you know. It's just like this big black unknown you know, of all the stuff you got to learn and time you got to spend, you're like, wow, do I really want to spend time doing that? There's a lot of stuff about chat roulette. Um, what the hell is that? I popped that. I said that all over. Basically, chat roulette is a 17-year-old kid in Russia has created a website that you go to the website and it connects, um, randomly connects you with someone else around the world in a webcam, a webcam chat session. Right. And uh, I don't really understand why that's such a big deal. I mean, why, why that's totally taking over Hacker News and also just becoming such an important, well, I don't know about important, but big news story. I mean, the last few days. Was it because yeah, the kid was 17? I mean, we would, we would, no, because but chat, chat Roulette was um, huge before we even found out who the, the creator was. Like it was kind of a secret who'd created it. So it already got really huge, but it's like it sounds like the kind of things that was happening. I don't know, back ten years ago, <laughs> like AOL chat kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's something we so ago, what? Now you have to webcam. Yeah, talk to random people. Yeah, you know, Skype. I mean, Skype did it. Like when it even when it first launched. I don't understand this whole like talk to random people stuff. I don't get it. I don't understand the chat rooms and stuff. I don't really. It seems that stuff always devolves into like sort of really kind of seedy stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's just going to be herbs. <laughs> yeah, that's what it seems like. That's what it really is, is a hunting ground for that kind of stuff. I don't know. That's kind of weird. Um, that, but, that's such a big... Yeah, so, okay, so you're, you're kind of the same viewpoint as me, which is just like, why? You know, who cares? Is I guess right. it's just like the new uh, meme that people are interested in. Right. So I got another thing. 
another topic. Okay, um, shoot. It's, the one was called Retirement is About Money, Not Age. And one thing you had talked about, you you, you had sort of thrown this in, in in a variety of different um, conversations we've had over the last, you know, the, 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 the range of the podcast. You said, you know, about retiring or how you want to retire and not do anything. I mean, it, when you say retire, what is it that you want to do? Well, I don't, I wouldn't like to retire and not do anything. I mean, I'd like to just get to a space where I can, for me, retirement is working on what I really want to do. So I think retirement would be, I'd be in a position like a CIO, like a chief innovations officer, and I could just knock out different concepts every day and have a team to work on them and build them and just try out lots of different things. And then traveling would would be involved quite a lot. And so ideally it would be your own show, not necessarily working for a company, but you had your own company. It would be like the, um, I can't remember the name of the guy, but basically he had like a business generation unit, like an incubator. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had, a, I guess he had about 20 people working for him and he just, he <laughs> would just dream up ideas and start them off and then hand off that idea to like two or three engineers who are interested in it. So it'd be like, you know, Google's 20%. Right. It would be like uh, an incubator where everyone was doing that hundred percent of the time. Yeah, and no, I've I've always felt, I felt the same way, right? That would be my ideal is just being able to launch all kind of cool new ideas, just to try and, it out, just to play around. So it's not that you want to just make make enough money so that you can just do nothing and sit on the beach. It's no. so that you can play with ideas and, and create cool stuff at your leisure. Yeah, but there would definitely be a, an aspect of I mean, if you're talking about like ideal lifestyle, there'd definitely be an aspect of travel, you know, moving around. The- the planet checking out different new places i mean that well, would mean, be yeah, my yeah. ideal so, i mean obviously if it was your own company like like obviously it's like let's say that you took tweet miner and you really cranked on it and it and it started making out some really good cash over the next you know two to three years right? right to where you didn't have to work for anyone you could make you could actually employ other people then you could do that and you could do it from anywhere well i mean if you re- it depends on whether you're talking about retirement or kind of dream level of wealth as it were i mean if if you're talking about the dream level of wealth aspect, then I'd just get into philanthropic stuff. Yeah, well, let's not talk dream level. Let's just say, because that takes, it just, that's just, you know, crazy talk, right? Well, I'm okay. gonna, I have a billion dollars. I'm going to do blah. <laughs> okay, whatever. You know, okay. kind of silly. But I mean, you know, if you got, if you built the thing up and you were making, you know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a month, right? You could do whatever you wanted. It's kind of weird. Why would you do philanthropic if you only if you got to like millions of millions of dollars status but if you were on 40,000 a month you wouldn't do philanthropic that's kind of weird choice to make isn't it why would anyone well, do I that think, I think you know obviously some people don't make any money and they're they spend a lot of time volunteering and helping people yeah you know I mean I, I, the friend I mentioned before who does uh, dreams for kids if you go to dreamsforkids.org I mean he's just an attorney in Chicago he did like um, living will kind of stuff and he started some foundation. I think when his mother died of cancer, he started a foundation, her name, and this was like, you know, 20 years ago. And he started Dreams for Kids and started pushing it. And Dreams for Kids is a really big deal now. I mean, they, are, they, have, they have things going on in like, I don't know, countries all around the world, and they've helped tens of thousands of kids, and it's a really big deal. And he's a millionaire. He just said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to help. And what he does, they help kids who are, uh, I think, primarily focusing kids who are disabled and have serious injuries. And it's it's just cancer. interesting, though. It's like, why why do we choose one or the other? Why don't we all choose philanthropy? You know, why? How come we choose to just sort of look after number one? How come ninety nine percent of people do that? 
I don't know. You know, I mean, we're we're inherently probably selfish creatures. <laughs> I mean, you know, however you want to talk about it, we evolved that way or whatever. But I think, you know, people are just, uh, they, I think a lot of things is like you, you keep putting it off. think, well, I'll do that once I get to here. Yeah. Once I make this money and I'll do it. I'm going to I'm just focus really hard on making money. And then once I've made enough money, then I'll, I'll help the world. But right now I'm going to help myself because I need the help, <laughs> you know. Okay. But I think, I think you, if you're yeah. if you're probably probably the if you are probably the best way to probably to allocate a certain amount of time every week or every month to helping other people, regardless of how much money you had. And have then, have uh, you heard that ants have have a, a thing where they will essentially sacri- sacrifice themselves for the good of the society? No, so really. that's, that's that's a trait of ants. Yeah, which it's not is a trait of humans very often. Well, it is though. It is like we do we do have that trait. Um, we it, do, but I think it's 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 not as it's not as common. <laughs> Some people do. Well, that's but that's also because of the kind of the level of the situation you end up in. Like, it's for example, your brother, right? As you just said, like he's basically sacri- potentially sacrificing himself for the betterment of the rest of his peers in society, and it's like not not a lot of people get thrown in that position, right? Right, because those those scenarios don't come up very often, right? Maybe right. it just happens more when you're an ant. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. When you're aunt, you tend to get stepped on, so yeah, or eaten or whatever. So, um, you know, along along the vein of you know the whole retirement or or, or you know you make a certain amount of money or whatever. If, one thing that was kind of interesting in in this uh, article I read about this Malcolm Gladwell article about um, Malcolm who sure thing Malcolm Gladwell Malcolm Gladwell okay yeah tipping point I blink or whatever. He um one thing that he cited was that. You would have to make two and a half times the amount of money working for someone else to be as happy as you are working for yourself. That's 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 what it comes. Up. I mean, basically, essentially, people are much happier working for themselves. They yeah. have to make a lot more money to let the evil one out. And and that's an, another thing. That's kind of interesting. One thing about doing these startups and stuff. It's like you know, once you can kind of not have to work for other people and and. You know, I I, I think that consulting is kind of a hybrid. I think when you're consulting, you're it's kind of in the middle. Right. right. I mean, you still have to jump through some hoops. You still have to worry about um, making, you know, a small number of people, you know, happy at certain times. But it's not like you have to drive to an office and sit in a cubicle and go to meetings and do all kind of crap that you don't want to do. Um, for me, consulting feels exactly the same as working for other people. Like does I it? Yeah. I don't, I don't I don't really feel the difference between that and working at a company for other right. people. I, for me, I just feel like it's either do your own thing build your own business or consult or have a job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe it is. I mean, it's, maybe it's closer to that. At least then you work from home and you can kind of make your own hours and you can kind of see that. I think one of the things about working for other people, it's, it's not only doing what you want to do, but it's like when people have power over you, I, I think that's, I think that tends to make people unhappy. And when you have one person who your boss or the company you work for, who, you know, essentially has a lot of power over you, then I mean, you'll get fired if you don't do what do things their way or what, what they want you to do at a certain time. If you have three or four or five clients, it's like, eh, they don't really have that much power over you, right? If, 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 client, if a client is unhappy or is, is acting up and you just say, eh, whatever, I'll, you know. But stuff. there's also another point, which is when someone's paying for your time, essentially they're more, you know, I guess nine out of 10 people are going to feel like they have a right to speak to you in a certain kind of way, which is I'm the customer, I'm right. Kind of a way. That's true, but if you have one customer, and it's like, but if you have our client, but if you have like say four or five clients, yeah, and they're all sort of hoping to get more of your time, 
they know that you don't need them, right? So they have to be on good behavior, just as if you had a boss. Yeah. Who, I mean, it's like working for a boss who's a really you know, great person and they're really respectful and very supportive and whatever, then it can be a very nice working situation. If you're with a boss who's disrespectful and trying to take advantage and whatever, that's a nightmare. And so when it's you a good have, strategy to have multiple multiple clients then under that consulting. Well, you know, as a plus and minus, you diversify your risk of, you know, having not only losing your contract, but they have less power over you. You have a little less But you've is, got more context switching, which is a pain in the butt. But you have more contact Context switching, which is a pain. So you have to. That's that's the trade-off. Do you want to context switch and have to juggle these clients, but no one has that much power over you, and you're diversified, or vice versa? I prefer to have more clients, even if I do. I've, I struggle with context switching at time. I, I prefer to have diversify my risk and not have to, because otherwise you're just an employee. Effectively, you have one client, you have one employee, but you don't have any benefits, and <laughs> you know you're cranking by the hour. Yeah. No, that's but, that's very good. But I but I think that advice. when you we talk about like you know like say you know building up a startup and get to a point where you make enough money that you don't you don't really have to uh, work for someone else. I mean it's a this is I think you're probably substantially happier at that point. I mean if you if you just had Tweetmire and you're just like no let's just say I was making you ten thousand a month right. Well, you're like, that'd be not fantastic. only are you making more than you'd be, you'd be you'd be really happy probably. You'd be like I can work whatever I want. I you know especially being somebody who likes to work on cool problems. You're like, I want to work on this. So you can just do what you want. It would literally be a dream come true. It really would. And is that, is that how you feel as well? I mean, if, if you, your project was doing the same thing, would you just feel like a weight lifted off your shoulders? Yeah. You know, so I feel like what I'm going to have to do is I'm really going to have to crank for the next, you know, couple years, two to three years and push on this project to the point to where it's, it's that profitable. And I don't think, I don't think it's that hard. I should say, I don't think it's, I don't think I'm saying it's not hard, but I think it's doable. I think it's very doable. You create, you come up with a, a decent idea. You're going to market, you know, sell this thing to people who pay. So I'm, I'm a, my target market is going to be, you know, what they call the, the fortune 5 million, right? It's going to be small businesses, <laughs> right? Right. Not to consumers who don't want to pay anything and not to enterprises where you have to have a sales team and it's a nightmare sales cycle, right? Yeah. So I think that's something that's that I think it's doable. But yeah, you, I have to commit to doing it. Really, just focusing on it, you know, and then maybe in, in two to three years, it'll it'll be to a point where I can not have to do any consulting at all. I mean, it could happen sooner than that. It could happen later than that. But even if you're halfway there, you know, after like say a year and a half, at least the point there's that much less consulting you have to do. You know, right? that essentially we're going for similar markets. I mean, basically, minus the Fortune five million as well, and there could be. Um, some kind of co-branding that we could do as we roll it out in terms of co- well co-marketing anyway. You know what I'm saying? For tweet miner? Well, basically, I mean, I think that it's it's a similar kind of similar kind of marketplace between tweet miner and what you're you're going to do. Hmm. Yeah, I don't necessarily see how that works. I mean, other than that, I'm not sure that's similar enough. Right. We'll see. When my when we can we talk about more specifically? Otherwise, it's kind of a silly conversation to have at this point. But um. I think, um, yeah, but anyway, yeah, I, 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 I want personal freedom is the most important thing to me. I don't have to be a millionaire, but at the point where it's like I can work on what I want to work on, but I make enough to support my family and, and you know, do what I want to do. It's, that's, that's, that would be great. That's at least, that's the focus now, right? When, there's a lot of times when I have people get to that point and then they start thinking the next step. But I'm just trying to get to the point where it's like I don't have to manage all these consulting projects. I want to get past that. It's not ideal. Right. 
Right. Um, you know, an interesting kind one kind of a similar related topic. I was talking to a friend of mine who um, he sold his company um, to for quite a bit, and so he's worth quite a bit of money now. And he does um, some angel funding. I've actually talked to him. He might uh, as being a guest on the show sometime, and, and he it would be interesting to have like an angel investor on the show, and uh, you know we can ask him talk about some of those topics. And um, he said, yeah, he he said. He asked me a question. He's like, yeah, I'm thinking about learning either. Um, he's like, I want to build this. I have an idea for a website that, uh, that I want to build for myself that I think would be kind of cool. And I'm, I want to either learn PHP, Ruby, or Python. He's like, what should I do? And I said, well, I don't know. And I gave him, I said, look, you know, you can use any three. I said, I don't know. I said, maybe go play with three different kinds and see which one you like better. But anyway, I asked him, I said, you know, let me show you this. The, a lot of times when people make a lot of money, then they feel like, it would be sort of a waste of, or not a good use of their time to actually go in and start fiddling with this stuff themselves. It'd be more efficient for them to just pay other people, right? Right. Because I had I'd known someone who, who a guy invested in my first company. He was like close to a billionaire, and, uh, but he, and he was young. He was in his 20s. He had inherited a lot of money from his parents, obviously. It wasn't he built it up. And um, he, he was really interested in code and, 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 interested in things like that. But he he could never do it because he was just allocating his capital, right? That's how he spent his time. But that wasn't nearly as fun for him. Hmm. And it was almost like, and I so I, so I asked this other friend of mine, I said, would you ever feel like because of the wealth that you have now that you don't get to do the fun stuff anymore? It's like, you don't get to go play basketball, you got to go buy a basketball team or pay someone else. Like, But it's the fun isn't doing, right? The fun isn't playing basketball. The fun isn't writing code. It's in building stuff. It's not in just giving people money, allocating money, let other people do it. And he's, and he, he's like, oh man, he's like, you have no idea. I feel that way all the time, you know? And I, and I, there was a book I had read years ago called The New New Thing. Um, I think it was by uh, was guy, Lewis Gay wrote. That was the one about uh, Dick Clark. That's right. Fantastic Dick book. Yeah. Was it Dick Clark? Dick, uh, sorry, I, I always say that. It was uh, not Dick Clark. That was the chat show host. Yeah. It was Dick someone or other. Ray Clark was his last name. But anyway, he's oh. got created Silicon Graphics. And then he created uh, Netscape. Yeah. What's his and name? And then uh, Clark is his last name. I'm just saying Dick Clark. I'm kind of messed up. <laughs> um, okay. So he, but after he, he, I remember at one point he bought this really big yacht and he wanted the whole thing to be completely automated. So he was trying to learn how to write C++ so he could write the code. Jim Clark. Control. Jim Clark. That's right. Dick Clark. And I thought that was kind of cool. But I think it's kind of interesting, though, how, how sometimes when people, they make a lot of money, and then they, they kind of, they, they kind of uh, get this a situation where they can't participate things yeah. very easily without feeling like, well, why am I doing this? I can just pay someone to do this. But you know, then you're not having fun. I've just seen uh, something interesting, just changing the topic slightly, um, seen something interesting on Hacker News, which is that, um, you know our old friend Jason Cohen from A Smart Bear? Yep. Done a blog post called... Sunk costs an invisible pervasive peril. Yeah, which and, is funny because I saw that today. <laughs> Actually, I'd written it down as one other thing to talk about. It's exactly like, what we've been talking about with uh, with the Mash API thing. So you're both, it's exactly what you're saying, which is that you overvalue something that you've put time in for a, a lot of time in. Yeah, I wonder if he. Uh, I wonder if Jason had listened to our podcast and I got him thinking about it. And he wanted yeah. to write a post. Maybe I think. I so. mean, could, I know he. Possibly. I know he listens to it sometimes. But uh, yeah, he's, he's saying right, right? We, we, we have this cognitive bias to overvalue sunk costs instead of 
just looking at this point forward, what what we want to do. And I guess one of the good examples was, I gave a bunch of examples, but one of them was really funny was like at, at Duke University, I guess there's just not enough tickets to the basketball games to go around. Right. And so they have a, like a lottery system and they, and they, and they asked the people who won the lottery, how much they would sell their tickets for. And on average they would sell, we wanted to sell their tickets for $2,400. And they asked the people who hadn't won, they bought how much they'd be willing to buy them for. And the most, and the most was about $170. <laughs> you know, and all kind of things that people are more likely to, to buy something that they actually touch with their hands. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's, 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 it's a cognitive bias, which means that even when you recognize it and understand it, it's still hard to get over that. It's still hard to think rationally about what's the what's the best decision to, you know, to do the best best decision going forward. So, um, I mean, I don't want to, we don't rehash the early part of the conversation, but yeah, I, yeah. I was thinking and I was like, yeah, eh, it's on cost. It's, it's like you really gotta be careful not to fall in that trap and keep trying to figure out how you're gonna leverage. Sometimes you just spend time on stuff and then it just isn't gonna go forward. I mean, I've spent time most of the things that I've worked on most of my life is, is sunk cost. Do you know, you, you mentioned last week that there's a, a local place to have curry near where you live and you go there for lunch sometimes? Yeah, and in, and in a restaurant, yep. Yeah, I was thinking maybe uh, we should um, have lunch. <laughs> have lunch there next week. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, any anytime you want. Just, you know, we can, I, I have to be pretty quick though because I'm usually between contracts, so I don't usually take like an hour lunch. I usually uh, have a half hour to myself. So one of these, like a Friday or something. Well, because you know what, maybe it would be nice to talk about some of the food experiences, especially once you're going to cook for me some of this um, interesting, oh, interesting God, cuisine. The whole food topic, come on. <laughs> yeah, I don't, uh, you know, I don't know enough about food talk food. Dude, you're going to cook that Ethiopian dish for me, aren't you? I'm not going to cook anything for you. First of all, I don't cook. <laughs> Second of all, if I did, I don't have liability that I'm going to kill you with my cooking. <laughs> I'm going to get botulism. I mean, so my, Sandy, uh, my wife, she she's a great cook, and so she so I've a little bit of cooking that I did do before we were uh, married. As since I've lost any technique or knowledge, because uh, you know she does all the cooking because she loves to cook and she's a good cook. So I don't cook at all. Okay, so what did you just eat? Scrambled eggs on toast. <laughs> what did I eat? When yeah, I was... before when you were single. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I could cook, you know, a handful of dishes or whatever. I mean, I don't know. I eat normal food, but um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, you love talking about food, huh? Well, yeah, I do. I, I eat a lot of it. Yeah, I'm not. That's not a topic I really can really converse on. Very. That's what I'm saying. You don't actually eat. Of course, I eat. What does that mean? I just don't obsess over it. Yeah. I don't go. Oh, we trust on. They prepare the dish in a certain way, and oh, it's just so wonderful. Whatever, you know. I mean, I like Indian food. I like Chinese food. I like Thai food. I like you know this. I like that. But you know, I like Mediterranean. Um, but I don't. Uh, I, it's not like it's something that I spend a huge amount of time thinking about. Clearly. <laughs> so uh, I guess that's probably probably a good enough good enough point to stop the show. All right, that's a wrap. We're out. You can't be silly. You, I mean, acting silly. You're like, let's be silly. <laughs> you know, I just acted stupid, you know. Well, there's nothing just, wrong with being silly. Like, no, you, but it, it's like... You're undervaluing it, silly. No, I think talking about dumb topics doesn't make me laugh. It makes me just go, that's stupid. Let's be silly. <laughs>